This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate. For the Utah Jazz, Zach Harper is back in town, joining yes. me back on the show. What if uh, I just started every show with a big yes? Like that's my catchphrase. That could be your thing. I mean, if you want, we can record that and just and just drop it if you want. That would actually be. It would save us all some cr- time. Yeah, that would be great because then I, because then I wouldn't have to. I really wouldn't have to do as much. I could just like give you a thumbs up. Yeah, I could save my vocal cords for something else, like a singing career. <laughs> is that is that likely? Are we going to get a singing career? I once had a, a professional-ish singer slash actor tell me that I had good control on my falsetto. Wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All yeah. right. Well, he we'll... might have been lying, but it, but I'm going to pretend it was true. You know, with the with something that specific. You would think that you, you, it's not a lie, right? That That's a genuine um, compliment. Though, wouldn't that be the way to lie, though? Mm. Like, if I was playing basketball with someone and they were they were bad, and I was like, you know, really, like, your follow-through is pretty good on this <laughs> mid-range jumper. They'd be like, oh, okay. thanks. That that makes sense, right? Yeah, like, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, that's it's a really saying easy, something about the rest yeah, of your game. Exactly, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, Zach is the national CBSSports.com <laughs> columnist for the NBA. Uh, we actually, like, despite it being the offseason, we have a fairly solid show for you today. I mean, yeah. fairly solid is, is accurate, right? I'm not overselling it. No, I was surprised when you, when you sent the rundown to me. I was like, this is actually kind of filled out. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Uh, and stuff I actually want to talk about, so that's even better. Yeah, I mean, so we've got the Olympics. We've got a couple of great guests. We've got Tim Donahue joining us in about five minutes. Uh, he's a blogger for 8.9 seconds. And he's super smart. Awesome, yeah. He's pretty analytically oriented. I want to ask him about George Hill and, and kind of what the Pacers are doing over there. So we'll talk to that, uh, talk to him. We'll do our in or out segment. Yes, um, in on that. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, this time we're going to be doing it on young players, not quite not rookies, but kind of these second to four or five year guys in the NBA um, who maybe haven't been on winning teams yet and whether or not they can be a contributor. Really, I feel very prepared for this because I just wrote an article on third year players looking to make a leap. You also added toaster ovens to youngish non rookies. Um, Yeah, we'll 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 get to toaster ovens. Believe uh, you me. Team USA has been playing in exhibitions against China and Argentina. Yeah, China uh, so twice, we'll be, Argentina once. So we'll be talking about that. Um, Coach K had some interesting comments that sure. I, I disagree with, yep. and I will share those disagreements shortly. <laughs> Ian Levy joins us in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, talking, also smart. Uh, yeah, uh, again, my I, I went to my analytics guys on this one for sure. Uh, talking about George Hill, Rudy Gobert extension. He's done some awesome off-season review columns really of, of a lot of teams around the NBA. So we'll kind of ask him about the the best of those columns. We'll of course go around the NBA. There are some news and notes with uh, CJ McCollum's extension. The players' union's been making moves. Uh, Kevin Durant's restaurant is closed. So you know, shocking news. <laughs> yeah, important news to talk about. We've got jazz dancer. Uh, Kerfuffle? Uh, drama? Yeah, I, I don't know what the right word is, but we'll get into that a little bit. Jeff Withy got engaged. Jingles sure did. is having babies. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a surprising amount of stuff to talk about for a, a late July off-season edition of the Salt City Hoop Show. I This is unrelated to all of that. Uh, I'm going to derail the show for a second straight, sure. you know, second time in five minutes. 
I had a great find today that I had forgotten about. It's this bag of goldfish crackers next to me. It was in my laptop bag. I had purchased ah. them at the airport when I flew on whenever that was, Monday-ish, Monday. And I'd forgotten that I put them in my bag. I never ate them on the flight. Looked in today looking for headphones, which I didn't bring. Wow. Goldfish, right there. But were they all crumply now? No. They're, like, intact. That's that's incredible. This is a, a goldfish cracker miracle. See, that's what I always regret when I leave something in my backpack. Because if it's, if it's like a goldfish thing, then it just gets killed by the laptop and right. the headphones and whatever, whatever else is in oh, there. Oh, if it had been a bag of Cheez-Its, I don't think it makes it. Okay. I mean, aren't Cheez-Its more hardy than, than goldfish? I, I would say no. Goldfish are survivors. Goldfish so, are survivors. Uh, but if it's like a gummy candy or something like that, yeah. then those it, things can, can last forever. Then you're so, in business. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I've relatedly found a bag of gummy bears in my Wow. <laughs> my see, last, this is uh, a, things even. are looking up. Yeah. Everything's coming up Millhouse for the... Uh, the old Salt City Hoop Show. Speaking of coming up, Millhouse, uh, Howell Neto's performance in this Brazil Argentina or Brazil Australia friendly yeah. tonight is is pretty crazy. I, I was just kind of tracking it with with one half of one eye. <laughs> it's not in the starting lineup. Marcelo Huertas is in the starting sure, lineup. Sure, veteran. But uh, Howell Neto is coming off the bench for him, and tonight he played 18 minutes. Six of seven shooting, 19 points, four wow. of four from the three-point line. Added on three assists and a steal. Had a few fouls, few turnovers is there as well, too. Three of each, if you want to be specific. But, hey, I'll take 17 points on, on in 18 minutes. Look, there's a reason we call him the Brazilian Carmelo Anthony of the Utah Jazz. It's cliche for a reason. Yeah, That's what he does. That, Carmelo that, scores oodles of points in just a few minutes in every international game. How will Neto does the same thing? Yeah, and and he never misses either. Uh, okay, no. he did. Well, he missed once, once. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we will take six for seven. Right. I do think Angie Treasure had a good point um, at Snark Tank that uh, Snark underscore Tank. I suppose. Yeah, I got to do that. Uh, that having played in the NBA may make him a better international player, right? Like having had that experience gives him maybe a one up over. Uh, I don't know his Aust- his Australian competition, although really. He shouldn't be blowing by Matthew Delvadova. No, Delvadova's a good a, defender, yeah. right? Uh, Patty Mills is, I don't know if he's a good defender, but he's an experienced player who who's pretty good. I, I think that, I, I'm always like, I you can overblow how, how good these, or how meaningful these performances are in international basketball, but being around the team and being with the best of your country and seeing the work ethic and seeing the professionalism and all that stuff like I do think that stuff matters if whether it's team USA or the Brazilian team or Spain or whatever so I think it's an overall fantastic experience for him as long as he stays healthy this is a little bit of a weird box score because it lists the full player first name and then only the last initial of their last name is this the FIBA site yes yeah I don't like the FIBA site it you know so our starters for the Australian national team today are Ryan Brock Aaron Matthew and Patrick sure <laughs> <laughs> so it's not even like Patty Mills no it's Patrick and and yeah it's it's confusing is all that is I'm confusing saying. Brock uh, Modem still killing it yeah shout out to Brock Modem summer league finest of the Utah Jazz right yeah. is he, he in the Utah Jazz summer league Hall of Fame he's got to be up there. I don't know I don't think so I is mean, he is he the line two years he's the line like if you're better than him. You get in, yeah. And if you're if you're not as good as him, you have no chance. Fair. Yeah, but like Jack Cooley was better. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> we're talking Jack Cooley. This is yeah. That but, just makes sense. I mean, are NBA players allowed? Like Darren Williams was good when he played that one uh, year. No, you got to play more than one year. Okay, I, I think he played multiple years. All right, well then, bad in one year and good in another. There you go. Year. You got to be consistent. Um, 
As always, by the way, you guys can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Talk Hoops. Um, we've got uh, we've got one commenter already saying Zach hates toaster ovens and freedom. I'm all freedom. I'm anti toaster oven. So <laughs> <laughs> just FYI, let's go ahead and bring in Tim Donahue and be a little bit more smart about basketball. Uh, Tim, like I said earlier, is a writer for eight points, nine seconds, the Indiana Pacers blog. Tim, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, I wanted to talk to you for a long time, but now that George Hill is uh, in a Utah Jazz uniform, is coming over from the Indiana Pacers, now is like the perfect excuse to uh, ask you about him. What does George Hill bring to the Jazz? Uh, well, I think he's going to bring a lot to the Jazz. Uh, the From a basketball perspective, he's going to bring some shooting, very good shooting, and excellent defense. He was uh, a foundational piece of the design of the Pacer defense that was so dominant two years ago. He was very important to allowing Roy Hibbert to stay down. Uh, he was an excellent, he's an excellent defensive uh, point guard. Um, and then just uh, just off the court, he's He's one of the smartest guys about basketball you're going to run into. David West was a huge fan of his, talked extensively about how bright he was and how important he was. And uh, Frank Vogel would talk about how, um, you know, he described what a point guard was to him, and Vogel thought a point guard was a leader of men, uh, to, to use coach speak. And that's what uh, that's what George Hill did for the Pacers. He, he um, as the Pacers... Uh, challenged Miami in the East. Um, they had a couple of guys in Hibbert and uh, Paul George who were extremely important, and they helped the team by uh, doing what they did best, by being great defensive players and Paul just being a great player in general. But um, George Hill, along with David West, they helped the team by making sure the team did what it did, and they had a very clear identity, and I think that that's what George can bring to Utah. Tim, oh, I, I sorry for with with George. It, it seems like you don't really realize how long he is in terms of wingspan and height until he's out there defending pick and rolls and and you know pinching down the post and everything. Like he he really is kind of freakish in, in the way he's built. Yeah, I think he's uh, I think um, he's he's about six three in shoes, and I believe the wingspan is either six nine or six ten. That uh, that wingspan that that team had was was pretty massive. You know, obviously with uh, Hibbert and West was seven four, a wingspan. It, it, it's just a huge team, and, and that makes a big difference. I mean, I think if you go back, if if uh, Utah fans want to be encouraged about defensive ability, just go watch that first round series against Utah, where Paul George and and um, and uh, George Hill really uh, made Lowry and and DeRozan's lives miserable. And length is so important, and that's going to help out. I think. I think Gobert. It's going to help Gobert out a lot because um, his ability to get over screens and defend point guards, which is one of the toughest positions and most exposed positions, really takes the pressure off of the big man in a pick and roll defense. And I think they're going to be a really nice pairing. I actually think Gobert is probably better than Hibbert is. Hibbert was defensively at the time, and 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 that was a dominant defensive team. I also, I, I've been watching some highlight and some film of, of Hill. I've also been kind of surprised at how athletic he is. You know, I didn't expect him to be able to get above the rim as, as frequently as I saw. And, and maybe that was just in 
uh, transition plays and a couple of like pretty easy rim runs. But that that was something that surprised me about the thirty year old point guard. What are the what are the downsides? I guess why were the Pacers willing to give up on him, given you know kind of the characteristics we've said so far? Well, I don't think they gave up on him. I mean, they traded Fair. for a, a quality player in Jeff Teague. I mean, and they got value for him. They wanted something different. They're both, I think, from a talent perspective, those two guys are, you know, there's not a lot of difference between the two, but, but Jeff Teague is, you know, when you get into, even Bird says this, is closer to a pure point guard. One of the things about George Hill that um, George Hill playing the point for your team is that people have very, uh, very specific ideas about what a point guard's going to do. And if the offense struggles, then it's the point guard's going to end up being just like the quarterback in football, where they're going to take a lot of the blame. And George Hill will tell you himself he's not a point guard. He's just a guard. I spoke to Larry Bird a few years ago about this, and, and he agreed. He, the guy that he kind of reminds me of historically is Dennis Johnson, which is just a very good guard who gives you a lot of different things, but he's not going to be a creator for you. He's also going to occasionally feel passive. You know, the, there was the running joke in Indiana was aggressive George Hill, and, and the, uh, the best example of that was um, not this past season, but the season before when he came back and just had a fantastic season in his 41 games. He missed half the season, but was probably played the best basketball of his career. So with George, I think the thing is that he's, he's one of those guys that's good at everything, uh, great at defense, but, you know, there are going to be times where you feel like he should assert a little more, where you're going to look at a loss and it's going to be easy, especially I think what Utah is going to be seeing is they're going to be playing important games this year. They're going to be pay- playing important games in the regular season. They're going to be playing them in the playoffs. And what's going to happen is George is going to be a very part, very big part of that being that good, making that leap. But you know, when you're the Pacers and you lose to LeBron James, you always kind of look back to where did you fall short, and George was an easy target because he wasn't that prototypical point guard. And I wouldn't be surprised if you got some of those complaints, especially in a place like Utah where they've had two, uh, you know, obviously one of the greatest point guards ever in, in Stockton, and, and then were somewhat spoiled with Aaron Williams at his peak too. Part, part of the problem against those Heat teams, and maybe this is an unfair way to, to judge a player because they, he was going against a really good team, but um, they seem pretty content with with really forcing George to make plays out of the pick and roll as as a playmaker, and they it seemed like they would swarm him, they would trap him because he would turn the ball over in those situations. Now, if you let him get into you know a little bit of space and turn the corner on those pick and rolls, he was a fantastic scorer. But maybe that's you know kind of the thing that you try to take away. Uh, especially when you get into the playoffs, and, and if that's the case, it it may not be as bad for George Hill in Utah because they are going to run so much offense through Hayward and Hood, but at some point teams will try to make him beat them in that way, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, the other thing, both with uh, one of the things, we the Pacers have lost both Vogel and George Hill, and the narrative there is, you know, obviously the Pacers got to the conference finals but didn't get past Miami. The, the important thing to remember is that they were basically beaten by LeBron, which is pretty much everybody these days. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the thing, the thing about, um, uh, the other thing about George 
which, which would be interesting to watch. I'm a huge fan of Vogel. He's a fantastic defensive coach, but he wasn't all the – not only was he not, a, he not a very good offensive coach, primarily because it wasn't his focus. It's not where he demanded the discipline. But also, he was a coach that wasn't real – his offense wasn't friendly to uh, wasn't friendly to point guards. And so, you know, not only did people try to attack George Hill, uh, it, it was worked most in 2012 against Miami, but, it, you know, you force him into those situations where he's got to create and that's not what he does. But also – the offense itself wasn't really conducive to um, to letting George Hill do that either. So it'll be interesting to see how he does with uh, with Snyder and and what the changes are. Because I think George was very successful. Obviously, it was just regular season, but he was very successful and performed at a very high level in 2015. But you know, he's never going to. He's not going to be a top level offensive point guard he's just going to be a very useful player in a lot of aspects can i ask can we move on to just like some pacers questions sure because I'm, I'm just kind of curious okay so first of all with nate mcmillan are the pacers going to be able to pay to play with a fast pace next year is that something that they're trying to do or are they kind of over that after going so small last year or trying thinking about it anyway <clears throat> um yeah, no, they're they're not going to play fast. I don't. Okay. Think. I mean, um, I think they're going to try to do things. I think they're going to try and play faster uh, to some degree, but that's not really what Nate does. Nate has been ex- an excellent offensive coach. He's he's had several top five, and including a couple of number number one offense in the league. He's a good coach. He's a great. And this is going to sound bad, but he's a great bargain hire for the Pacers. He's he's quality. He's he's respected. But he's not. He's not gonna. He's not going to reinvent Golden State or seven seconds or less here. It's not going to happen. Uh, and then I think Bird kind of acknowledged that with some of the moves that he made, uh, bringing in Al Jefferson specifically. I think what's going to happen is the Pacers are. Um, uh, Rather than changing ends faster, I think they're just going to change ends of focus, and I think they have a shot at going from you know mid twenties or or lower third of offense into the top third of the offense in the league. But I think the defense is going to slip, and I don't think they're going to play very fast. Well, for the you know, it seemed like not only did they want to play fast, but they wanted to be more modern in terms of three point shooting and everything. And then it just it just didn't seem to really come around unless CJ Miles was hot. Uh, mm-hmm. Or George Hill, for that matter. But with the, what they have out there, I mean, Thad Young is not a stretch four in any way. Like he, he right. specifically, when he was in Minnesota, was asked to shoot three pointers and was not thrilled about the idea and, and really didn't do it. Um, that doesn't mean he won't do it in Indiana, but he's just not a he's not a three point shooter. You know, Monte Ellis is a horrendous three point shooter. Jeff Teague can you know had a good year last year, but he can be kind of hit or miss. Is this still a focus, or is this basically just we're going to have guys who can move the ball and hopefully that creates space in the offense, and, and then Paul George can just you know go to work on everybody? Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's clearly the biggest hole. There are two big problems with the roster as it's constructed. One, it, it really lacks shooting. Um, as you note, uh, there are going to be a lot of players on this floor that that uh, nobody's going to care if they're standing wide open at the el- at the uh, elbow of the arc. Um, and then the second thing is that they have re- odd redundancies between 
Monte Ellis and, and Stuckey. I think what they're going to try and do is, you know, they're going to try to play faster. They're going to probably be much better, um, probably have much better discipline and better design offensively. And um, I think there's some opportunity. One guy who could become a shooter who, who shows a lot of promise is oddly Miles Turner. Uh, he's going to be an interesting player for them. Um, but it, it's going to be a test because, you know, what Bird has done is really maximized his assets in terms of he's gone out and gone bargain shopping. You know, you know, Sad Young for the 20th pick in the draft was is a nice is a nice pickup. Uh, Jeff Teague is nice for what they want to do. Al Jefferson, if he's healthy, is going to be a nice offensive uh, center off the bench. Um, but it, it's it's very mismatched. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, Thad Young, I think, is a <laughs> Thad Young. I think I, I, Thad Young early uh, always reminded me of early Detlef. Uh, as a guy who was better at the four, but before you actually started playing fours or trying to shoot a lot of threes. So I think he'll help because he'll open up some space. He can hit some jumpers from mid-range, and he moves a lot more a lot more smoothly. But, you know, I think their biggest problem, where they're going to get killed, I think they might be okay in the regular season, but be, um, they're going to have a lot of trouble in the playoffs because they don't shoot well, and also the defense isn't going to be as good. Yeah, to me that I, I and it's hard for me. I mean, I guess what's the long term plan, right? Like, obviously, Miles Turner is a big part of it. Paul George is obviously a big part of it. But then you do, like you point out, have these mismatched pieces. Is it just you know get bargain signings, even if it if they don't necessarily fit in, and then see what the trade value is on you know one of Monte Ellis or, or Stucky or uh, Al Jefferson, CJ Miles, some of these guys that may or may not fit. Yeah, it's. Um... I mean that's possible. I, I think the very important thing, the 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 overarching thing to understand about Larry Bird, the Simons, and the Pacers is it's an absolute non-tank organization. They do not tank. They are going to chase the playoffs every year, and they're going to try and do things like they've done. They've been to eight conference finals in the last 25 years, and only the Lakers and the Spurs have gone to more. I think, um, uh, and so one of the things that they do is they basically collect talent. They try and put a good to decent product on the, a decent to good product on the floor every year. And then they, uh, they, uh, uh, and then they see when they can jump. And the other, the other pressure here is that Paul George's contract is up in two years. He's got an option after um, after the season after next, and he uh, they cannot you know they can't pull the shoot. They have to prove between now and then that they're actually going to be a good basketball team. So whether there's a plan or not, it's difficult to tell. I think the plan is to try and be in the mix and then see if they can make some noise in the playoffs. I still think, and this is a strange, this is another mismatch piece, but I still think they're going to they're sniffing around Rudy Gay, um, uh, either a Stucky or Ellis for Gay type of move, Interesting. which is kind of ugly. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of ugly, but it actually, I, I kind of like it a little bit from the sense that, A, um, you know, you talked about the size of uh, George Hill, and when George Hill played next to... Uh, 
Lance Stevenson, who had a who had a six foot eleven inch wingspan, and now now the Pacers are looking at Jeff Teague, and I mean basically they've got the lollipop guild as their guards now with Jeff Teague and <laughs> and Monte Ellis. I'd like to see them balance that out, and um, Rudy Gay, I think, uh, you know, fits yeah. with what they're doing. It would be interesting. I, I don't hate it. Also, uh, when, once you trade him, your team gets a lot better. So you start the <laughs> clock on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us and spending the time with us on the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, remind us where we can read your work. Uh, it's at 8.9seconds.com. It's part of Fan Sizes, and you can follow me at Tim Donahue 8P9S on Twitter. Perfect. All right, that's Tim Donahue, everyone. Thanks so much again for joining us. we got to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, though, we're going to do our segment in or out, whether or not we... Uh, are in or out on various young players in the NBA on and, losing teams. And toaster ovens. And toaster ovens. That's, that's an important part of next segment. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Zach Harper joining you. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it on In or Out. This is the segment inspired by all of our summer league conversations where yes. we just went in or out. <laughs> everything, on, went, everything went in or out. It um, was, you couldn't, there was no middle ground. Yeah. You had to hate something or love it. And, and it, actually, in order to be like in our clique, you, right. had, to, you had to induct yourself with an in or out. There a, was a, hot, a hot take. Yeah, there was a gang initiation, essentially. Yeah. In, so, in hot take dumb. I mean, so does that mean we're initiating our listeners, or I mean, well, if they can come, if they can tweet us with a good, you know, in or out, tweet it, yeah, tweet us with the your hot takes, yeah, like you're out on meat on pizza, but that doesn't count if you're a vegetarian, right? Right. That's, I mean, it has to be a good. I'm hot out take. on peppers on pizza. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, I, it's not good. Onions but on I'm pizza, in on like pineapple, and a lot of people I'm, are not that. Here's the problem: is people think, "Oh, Hawaiian pizza, pineapple." Like, ah, I don't really like that. You're right because you're using the wrong combination. Hmm. You want pineapple and pepperoni. I've never tried that before, it's, but it's I'm, I'm stellar. I'm in. <laughs> it's yeah, you got to be in. Okay. Yeah, 100. percent Next time we order pizza for the show, which we actually do quite frank- frequently, <laughs> right? <laughs> pizza sponsors out there, we're looking for you. Uh, it, we'll we'll give it a shot. All right. This week, we're going to do youngish non-rookies on losing teams. Can they ever be, like, actually contributing good players? Okay. Um, and, you know, kind of a buy or sell sort of thing. Sure. So, I've got some big names. I've got some medium names. I'll, I'll start with, uh, let's start with Eric Bledsoe. He's youngish, I guess. Out. Okay. I've been out. Uh, our friend Charlie and I have argued about him for years. Uh-huh. Charlie is very much in. Uh, I don't think he's that great when he's healthy. And the fact that he has, uh, I believe, no meniscus in one of his knees, yeah, that's and then a worrying. torn one in the other one, uh, or at least damaged, I just don't, I don't see him ever being healthy enough consistently over the years to to really be an impact player. And I think as he ages, I think some of his best characteristics go away, namely the the speed and kind of right. the defensive yeah. peskiness that he's uh, an inc- inconsistent shooter to me. Yeah. So that I yeah I'm out. Okay, I I am I'm out too. Wow. Yeah. Charlie's uh, going to be devastated. That's it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to be in like two years ago. I was in. Yeah, but, I was out then, too. I've uh, been out. That's that's good foresight. <laughs> uh, Alex Len. Let's get let's stick with the Suns. 
I think I'm in on him. Really? And I was out when he got drafted. Yeah. I thought he was going to be terrible. Yeah, I did too. But he's he's gotten a lot better. Yeah, first he can, of all, he can and, catch a basketball, which is huge. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I like I'm in on him being a great player by any means, but like he's uh, starter on a playoff team. I think so. No, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I mean, think he should play next to Tyson Chandler. Right. But yeah, like give me give me him in two years on a as a center on a team. I'd take that. I I do think that like he does struggle with good defenders. Sure. Uh and I he's just not the prototypical center that works now, I guess. It's like watching a a great Dane puppy try to play. Like he'll get some things right and he'll get a lot yeah. wrong, but I feel like eventually he's going to get a lot right. Okay. Yeah. I I think I'm probably out. I'm going to say out All on right. Alex Lance, I'm in. but you're in. Yeah. Uh let's go Ooh, I don't want to go this close to home yet. Let's go Julius Randle first. I'm out. Yeah, I'm, I, he's a horrible defender, and I don't see it. I don't see it getting better. And I don't know like how good he is offensively, right? Like he's got like a nice mid-range Carlos Boozer kind of game, right? Um, with less good finishing at the rim, uh, better ball handler, better ball handler. Uh, he doesn't have three-point range. If I'm if I'm Luke Walton, I'm just dying, hoping that. Brandon Ingram can play right away. That way you're starting him and Luol Deng together and you don't and you can bring Randall off the bench yeah. and you don't have to fool with him in the starting lineup. He's not he's not a passer. He's not you know, Right, like maybe in the open open floor he's a little bit of a passer, but yeah, the ball Yeah. Dribbles I, a lot for a big man. I'm out. Yeah, out. Uh I'll tell you what this segment was inspired by was Ben Dowsett's um tweet storm this morning on Andrew Wiggins versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh. And Am I gonna like this? So I, I guess my that's I have both of these guys in there as you know. Are you in or out on Andrew Wiggins or or Antetokounmpo? Let's start with Giannis, yeah. the Greek freak. I'm in on him. Uh, I like the point guard experiment. I think it's fun. First of all, Ben pointed out that the Bucks were not good while they experimented with this, but I don't know that that was his fault. Sure. Um, he also pointed out that he can't shoot, and I agree. <laughs> right. And yet, I am so intrigued by everything else that I think he either figures out the shooting or becomes one of those rare players that does become like a legitimate impact player without necessarily needing to shoot the ball incredibly well. Yeah, you make great points. I'm out. I'm out on Giannis. <laughs> I like how you gave me the, yeah, yeah you make great points. I'm However, out. No. Can't out. shoot. I don't like the point guard experiment. Um, I wow. would rather him be a point center than a point guard, if that makes sense. Like okay. I, I get that when your other option is Michael Carter Williams, right. yeah, you're gonna experiment there. Um, but no, I don't like him playing point guard. He he's his dribbles too high because physically yeah. it has to be. I like him in the open floor, but in terms of actually running a an offense, like I just don't think it's a good idea. So and and until he figures out how to shoot, I just think teams are the pain against him, and and eventually that length isn't gonna be enough. I think that's true. I, I I don't know if the point guard experiment lasts. Right. You know, I think if you do that, you need a secondary ball handler next to him. Who right. Can and who's that? Chris ball. Middleton, maybe? Not, I mean, maybe. on the Bucks, I don't see anyone. I mean, Jabari Parker, maybe, right? Maybe, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think it's yeah. a great fit for that right now, yeah. you know. But if you, you know, maybe Brandon, I don't know. Brandon Knight. He's not on the team. In, I know, back in the day. Oh, I, yeah. Had they not gotten rid of him. Right, yeah. Um, um, yeah, he's not really point guard either. Yeah, I, I but yeah, well, I guess secondary ball handler can work. But I, I, if you play him at center exclusively, this okay. anything under than that, I'm out. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was who he did the poll with Giannis about. So Andrew Wiggins, uh, I let me hear yours first. In 100 percent in. Well, this guy has been like, all right, he can't shoot uh, from three point range. Right, that's a problem. 
Uh, he's worked a lot with it with uh, Drew Hanlon, who's very good trainer. Um, he's worked with uh, with Ryan Saunders, who's very good at development. I think he'll be fine in the coming years. He also played in a horrendous offensive system the last two years. Yeah. Um, so I think that affects things. He's struggled handling the ball, but he's worked on that as well, and he got better as the season went on with in terms of being a playmaker in the pick and roll. Okay. Um, on on help defense, he falls asleep. That's not going to be allowed under Tom Thibodeau. Okay. Yeah. On the ball, he's fantastic. But- so does then he get does he get playing time under Tom Thibodeau? One hundred percent, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean obviously he'll get some. Yeah, but he's going to be he get... good. He he's going to have more space to operate, which is going to boost every facet of his game. Hmm. Defensively, he's going to have all the bad stuff ironed out of his game by by Thibodeau's brainwashing, and okay. and I think and he's been the guy who has been asked from day one as a nineteen year old to defend the best perimeter scorer every time, every game, doesn't matter what. He had to defend Jimmy Butler. He had to defend Joe Johnson when he was good. He had to defend Chris Paul. He had to defend LeBron James. Like he's had to defend everybody. He's really good on the ball, and that's with not really having great coaching or a great system okay. in that respect. Okay, You're... I get I get that I sound like a homer here, but I've watched an an unhealthy amount right. of Timberwolves no, basketball, and I feel very strongly about this. Okay, I'm kind of out. Like I I I'm out on him being like a top five player ever. Um, well, yeah, no, is, he's uh, not gonna be a top five player okay. ever. And, and not ever, sorry, right. top five player in the league. Uh, ever yeah, in his career. I think he'd be a top ten guy. Top five's a lot. So, okay, t- even top ten to me, I think, is too much because, as you pointed out, the ball handling's yeah. not there. The the three point shooting's not there. What's the difference between him and Paul George? Not a lot. I mean, I, I mean, aside from three point shooting, like three point Paul's shooting and defense. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. The Paul George is uh, Paul George at at his at his age okay. was about the same as Andrew Wiggins defensively. That's a good point. Um. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit for his age. Yeah, I mean he's 21. Like I just, I think that I think things are I think things are going on the up for him with Tom Thibodeau. We've got a question from Riley O'Brien: Are we in or out on Tony Jones, Salt Lake Tribune being the primary ball handler at Jazz Twitter? Pickup? I'm out because I like to be a point guard. <laughs> I want the ball, so I'm out on Tony hand- bringing the ball up. You and as a result, you and Tony guard each other a lot. A lot, yeah. And. I mean, uh, is he is he a terrifying opponent to? He's. I mean, he's good. He can yeah. handle the ball. He can shoot. Um, he has a great move with a crossover where he steps on your foot and hopes you'll fall down, or at least like that's, stumble back. That's cheating. Yeah, it's offensive foul, but you know, whatever. <laughs> that's against the rules. We've got another Riley O'Brien question, but it's a good enough question that I want to save it for later. So okay. hold up, Riley. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, Anthony Davis. We there was actually a lot of discussion about him at summer league. This was my this was my hot take that didn't go over great. I'm out. Yeah. On Anthony Davis. He's still ridiculous. He's an amazing scorer, and he's a great rebounder. He can't pass, and I don't think he's that impactful defensively. Uh, he's not impactful defensively, but I think he figures that out. Hopefully, like, yeah. I, I. But in terms of right now, like we're talking about him as maybe the fourth best player in the league. Like I don't think that. No, but I think I like. I do think he eventually figures that out and does become a top five player. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Monty Williams was a pretty good defensive coach, or he was supposed to be. Supposed to, be, yeah. Like he had the he had the defending well the year they didn't have anything to get you know before they got Anthony Davis, right? right. I I don't think Alvin Gentry is the answer. I no, I mean Monty maybe Williams maybe with Darren Erman as as the assistant, yeah, okay. Design the defense, then maybe you know you can talk me into it. But yeah, I agree. Like Alvin Gentry, not a fantastic defensive coach. Yeah, I I I think ultimately he does figure it out because uh, you know he's young. I and he's just he is impactful such, right. uh, in such a big way numbers wise with the blocks and the steals. I, I want to clarify. Anthony Davis is score, very good. I'm not saying he's not a good player. I just don't think he's the guy that we're talking about him as. I I think I think he will be. I don't think he is now. 
I think okay. she will be. That's mainly my problem with Giannis as well. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Bradley Beal. Man, I want to be in, but he breaks. He breaks, or he has a stress fracture in his tibula or fibula. One of those. It's either one is not good. Every single year, it's been all four years of his career. He has had one, he has had the same injury, and he misses time. And like I, if he's healthy, you give him the max, like they did. Right. If he's healthy, he's a fantastic shooting guard. But I gotta be. I think I gotta be a little out. Because because of the injuries. Yeah, I'm I'm out because of the injuries, and honestly, like I, I'm not that impressed when he plays. Fair. Um, you know, he's goodish. Yeah. I think he's been a little bit overhyped because he is an excellent shooter. I mean, yeah. and I, I, it's kind of the opposite of what I said with everyone else. <laughs> uh, but I, I, he's not a terrific playmaker. Uh, yeah, he's he's gotten a little better at that, but the, he's the but feel it's still isn't yeah, the feel's not there. There. Uh, and I I struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, so I agree with that. I I'm out on Bradley Beal for different reasons actually, which yeah. is, is probably not for a me. Good it's just the injuries. All right, uh, that's everyone. We oh toaster ovens, toaster ovens, <laughs> out. Once you start paying for your own health insurance or why did or you're this come up? Age, why did you add toaster ovens to the list? Because John Tesh tweeted about warming up pizza in a skillet instead of the oven or instead of a microwave, and, and I love this idea. I, I've never tried it. But it sound it makes sense to me in terms of cooking physics. He tweeted that putting it in the microwave gets it too mushy. Yeah, it's too soggy. And then someone and responded, "Toaster ovens, one hundred percent the way to go." I think toaster ovens are an abomination. I think toaster ovens are probably ideal for this task. No, I just don't. I don't. Think... They take up too much room on your uh, on your countertop. Um, Look, I'm out. They're on... dangerous. Yeah, they're very dangerous, and I just think that I think it's a college. You are a college appliance to have. That's what I would say. Ooh, I like I, I, I am still in like that college stage of eating. Well, you're sure. still young. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not saying you got to start, you know, being a chef or anything. But I, I, I mean, I'm out on toast ovens for the space okay. reasons and for quite not, frankly, the like number of use reasons. Yeah. Right? Like ultimately I'm not, I don't need the 20% upgrade and pizza reheating. Right. Deliciousness. That a toaster oven would provide. Most people should eat pizza cold anyway, right? Yeah, they made a whole show about or, it. Yeah, if you exactly they did. <laughs> or if you want eat slightly warm pizza from the microwave, like ultimately the toaster oven reheated pizza is not going to be so great that right. it justifies the space and the expense. Twelve percent of homes every year that burn down from toaster ovens. That's a that's a solid statistic. I made it up, but it, it, it mean, could be true. Well, it I, sounds I, real, right? No. <laughs> 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 got bad news. It's, uh, well, it sounded real to me. Doesn't sound great. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, uh, Team USA exhibition stuff. We've got a quote from uh, Coach K saying they're too loose and having too much fun right now. There's on, no such thing. Out on Coach K. <laughs> we'll talk about that next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. <laughs> Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper, with you. A uh, few comments we want to get to. Jason Witt at Witness says, "Reheat pizza on the grill, your life will change, and toaster ovens are a waste." I'm in on the last part of that. Uh, the grill. I, well, I guess that's not that much more work than doing it on a stovetop, right? Yeah, you still got to wait for a stovetop or a grill to warm up. Yeah. Uh, you got to go outside for the grill. Could be a problem in the winter, most places. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you could just leave your pizza on the sidewalk on a hot day. 
Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, sidewalk pizza was, is all the rage in New York, right? More direct. Right. Uh, a pizza rat may come and get it. I'm willing to try regardless. this this grill idea. Yeah, I, I'm willing to try it. Like Maybe it gets charry like those fancy restaurant pizzas. Yeah, do. I don't mind that. Uh, brick oven pizzas? Riley O'Brien earlier on in the show said, do you guys see any chance of Dante Exum taking back the starting point guard spot this year, or is George Hill the guy all season long? I do not. Yeah, I, I'd be pretty surprised, unless like... Dante Exum is incredible, right? Like right. if if he, I really what, have what would it take? I really have low expectations for him because yeah. he's and it's yeah the the injury happened so long ago. But getting back up to speed, um, you know, relearning the game as much as he's going to have to do. Like he didn't know that much in the first place because right. he's a rookie who had very little competitive experience. You know, I mean, I just think that I think there's a lot mentally going against him that he has to catch up with. Uh, in terms of learning just the the pace of the game on the court. And and two, uh, there's just a physical aspect that he's going to have to get back up to speed. I think once he gets back up to speed, I think it's a no-brainer. I think you go with him as a starting point guard because I I do believe in him quite a bit. Like... So I I believe in him quite a bit, but I you know I, it'll be so hard to tell next year whether or not if he's reluctant to attack the rim. Sure. If that's injury or if that's just who he is, because he right. was super reluctant to attack the rim as a rookie. Uh, and, and I, I just don't see him, yeah, getting it that soon, right? Right, yeah. Uh, whether it be for it's his second year in the NBA reasons or whether it be for injury reasons. But I think either way, George Hill is probably going to be the more dependable option all season long. Yeah, I agree. And, and then that makes a very interesting discussion of do you, do you pay, pay George Hill in the offseason when he's a free agent? Yeah. Or do you trust that Dante Exum is up to speed? Depends what he shows. Right, yeah. I mean, it, that, it, this is definitely something where I think you see a lot of inconsistency in the first two-thirds of the season. In the last third of the season, you hope to see Dante really building towards something in that role. Yeah. Now, I, I, if Dante does turn out to explode offensively, you know, if he is attacking the rim and yeah. if he is a playmaker, then I think he could. I, I just think it's pretty unlikely that that happens that right. quickly. I mean, and George Hill, I mean, George Hill is pretty good. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's definitely a starting point guard in the league, probably near if not in that top half of starting point guards i mean he's he's good yeah agreed all right uh let's get to these comments by coach k uh basically saying that the u.s needed to tone it down in these friendlies and stop winning by 50 as much and maybe win by 40 i don't know like what what does he have in mind here (laughs) well here was the thing is that it was it was the moment where demar derozan tried a 360 dunk on a on a defense. That is exactly how much fun they should be having. And Kevin Durant left the bench, walked the baseline, went into the into the paint, and did a spin that's, after they had called a foul. That's that fun. was his celebration. And so they got a technical foul for it. And then Clay Thompson hit a deep three and the bench jumped up and started celebrating like, you know, all benches do now. Uh-huh. And Coach K told them to sit down. Uh I guess the worry is World War Three between us and China. Sure, that and um is the worry that you slip back into the 2004 mentality? No, uh, is I'm that not is that too dramatic that at all? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Like uh, I, this team has shown in its early results that it's much better than the 2004 team. I think that because they were alive and, and around during the 2004 era, that like everyone knows that that can't happen again. Uh, quite frankly, I, I don't know that the rest of the world is as good as they were in 2004. 
Uh, which is weird because there are more NBA players in, in the international game. Right, but it's kind of spread out. I mean, you don't have the Gasols playing. Right. Right? Like, so that's a huge blow to Spain. They, they, I really don't think they can compete with the U.S. without the Gasols. Yeah, I mean, we'll do our Olympic preview show next week, but uh, I think probably France is the biggest. Yeah, France is good, but I don't know that they have all that much shooting. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know. It feels like a lot of, a lot of key players are sitting out. Of U.S. or France? Well, both. Or, but well, no, just the, the just the world, wor- just the world in general. And yeah, I agree. the big threat in 2004 was Argentina, right? Right. Well, they haven't had this next wave of great young players. No, they no. are old. Right, they're old, and they're just like next in the in the 2020 Olympics, they're gonna suck, even if they you know if they even make it. Right. You know, I just think that I think that that wave is you know maybe maybe you have to start worrying about. Australia more, or, or maybe Canada, although I don't think they have the point guards to do it. And that's the problem, is that you have to have really good point guards in order to be able to compete with the U.S., and a lot of the world doesn't have that. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of where you could maybe get a competitive advantage or a competitive near advantage is at the point guard position, where so many of these guys have stayed home in right. the U.S. this year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you look around the world, and it's, it's not great. I mean... Ricky Rubio was kind of that hope, and he's staying home, right? He's, uh, he's yeah. He uh, I think he's playing, but okay. like he and he's fine, right? But he's he's not going to worry the right. U.S. He's not right. Exactly. Like Kyle Lowry is very fine going against Ricky Rubio, right? Like that's not like Rubio's a good defender, but that's not a that's not really a, a problem. Um, and and I I do wonder with this whole Coach K thing, was this strictly to hype up the news that he was in two K seventeen? Maybe they put the '92 Dream Team in. They put the 2016 USA team in, and Coach K will be prowling the sidelines digitally. Cool. So maybe I, that was just some fine. viral campaign. I mean, it's it's silly. Like, uh, I why are you playing exhibition games and then complaining about how much fun people are having? Also, like, China sat their best player. They sh- yeah. they, they sat Yijian Lin, who amazingly is their best player. And that's <laughs> and that's a that's a loss. Like. You're gonna win by fifty points. Yeah, and, uh, they could have won well, by. They should have won by more. Really? Yeah, you might as well have some sort of fun with it. To uh, you, in, in fact, if you want to avoid two thousand four, you should actually like stretch the limits of what you can do rather than like right. walk through every game. Right? I say you try to get other countries to quit. Yeah, you want to show your dominant. Get a, get someone to quit. Get Venezuela to not show up tomorrow for the friendly in Chicago. I'm I'm for that. Or I'm at least in, leave the uh, leave at halftime. I'm in on Venezuela being out. <laughs> sure. Does that work? Yeah, 100%. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got Ian Levy joining us from the HP Basketball Network and Nylon Calculus next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. <laughs> Andy Larson, Zach Harper, joining you on ESPN 700. Uh, we've got Ian Levy on the line. Uh, he's the managing editor of the HP Basketball Network and... Uh, Used to, I think you're the founder of Nylon Calculus. Is that right, Ian? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. 
I wanted to make sure I got your complete resume right. But another incredibly smart basketball person coming on the show and just putting Zach and I to shame is that that's that's too much. But no, no, that I mean, at least on my side of the equation, a hundred percent. I Ian is, is no shame, no shame. <laughs> I, he's gonna say something smart, and I'm gonna say uh, toaster ovens. I don't know. You out? Like I don't know. <laughs> Are you in or out on toaster ovens, Ian? Let's let's dumb you down a little bit before. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm definitely in on toaster ovens. You're in on toaster way. ovens, so oh, we no. were out. What? What? Why are you in on toaster ovens? Well, there's just more versatility. You can, uh, you know, like melt some cheese on top. It just there's uh, lots of options. Ian, okay. you're you're into analytics. Did you know that 12 percent of homes that burn down are because of toaster <laughs> ovens? Well, I no longer have a toaster oven because mine caught on fire. <laughs> <laughs> that stat was made up, but it, it tricked you into into telling the truth about toaster oven safety. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was standing there watching it, watching my grilled cheese catch on fire and then the toaster oven itself, but uh, yeah. <laughs> what what ended up happening? Uh, I We just, uh, I don't even think we unplugged it, and I don't think I <laughs> used a fire extinguisher. Just, you know, once once the heat was off, it kind of went out by itself and right out to the dumpster. See, now I believe my stat that yeah. I made up. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't sound, Like, 50% of the guests we've had on the show today <laughs> have had their toaster oven catch on fire. And we didn't even ask Tim. We so, didn't ask Yeah, yeah it could be 100%. It, it could be. <laughs> All right, so we want to ask you, too, Ian, about George Hill, um, obviously new mm-hmm. member of the Utah Jazz. Uh, you were excited to tell us about what you think about him. Uh, I think he's fantastic. Um, was I'm a Pacers fan. I was really sad to see him leave Indiana. I felt like he uh, never really got a fair shake there. They, um, you know, traded for him, and then they sort of tried to pigeonhole him into this, We, you know, we need a traditional floor general kind of guy, and, that's not really uh, that's not really the the kind of guard he is, um, and so he, he you know he spent a lot of time running uh, high pick and rolls with David West and was not super effective, and so he took a lot of criticism I think for for places where the Pacers offense um, wasn't very good over the past couple of years, um, and I, I don't think that was necessarily his fault. And so the the year that Paul George was injured, we sort of saw the full uh, full range of his abilities. Um, uh, he was super efficient, uh, scored a ton. Um, so I think he still, you know, he still has that in him. But uh, you know, for Utah, they they don't need a ton. They need him to uh, be a complimentary ball handler. They need him to um, spot up, shoot three pointers, and play defense. And he's exceptional at, at all three of those things. So I think he's going to be a great fit for them. Not not to insinuate that Gordon Hayward is as good as Paul George or, or even better, but isn't Gordon Hayward kind of the perfect wing? for George Hill because he is much more of a natural playmaker than, than Paul George just because Paul seems to have some you know some issues handling the ball still? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think Hayward's going to be a nice match with him. Um, Hill, uh, you know, he was really good in that one year where George was out where he was sort of the primary on-ball creator, but he's been really good the past couple of years, uh, especially the past two playing with Rodney Stuckey um, and, and Monte Ellis where – um, he's the he's the guy that the ball gets swung to. If he's open, he's taking that three pointer. If not, they're sliding right into another pick and roll, or he's attacking a closeout and making something happen there. Um, so I, I think he he has a lot to offer. And yeah, slotting him with Hayward is is going to be a really nice look for them. Uh, I wanted to ask you about what you think the Jazz should do with Rudy Gobert's extension. I know this is kind of out of the blue. Uh, but he's he's up for an extension this year. C.J. McCollum just got a big one, four years, I believe it's one hundred and six million dollars. Right, yeah. uh, after this off season, if you're the Jazz, do you extend Rudy Gobert right away and and probably for the max, 
or do you wait until the next year uh, when you, you know, you waiting to do so means that you do have more cap space because this cap hold is bigger. So you could potentially use that next summer in the, in the summer of 2017 uh, and, and just kind of let him get whatever the offer, whatever the, the market says should be his deal. Yeah, well, I love questions about how I should spend other people's money. <laughs> uh, also, if you could balance I, my I checkbook he, after this, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, I think he's uh, an exceptional defender, um, and sort of in the abstract, I think he's absolutely worth whatever they would, whatever they could pay him in an extension right now. Um, the thing that makes me nervous is guys of his size it feels like they go really quickly um and i have not to spin back to the pacers we sort of saw it with roy hibbert um where his his rim protection was what made that pacers defense exceptional and once he slowed down just a touch uh teams started putting him more in the pick and roll he couldn't hang he couldn't keep up and and it just sort of fell apart for him really quickly um and so that would be my that would be my concern with gobert is um you know uh, they offer him four or five years, maybe two years into that, he's lost a step. It's a little bit harder for him to defend in space, and then what he offers right at the rim is not quite as valuable. It, you have to give him the max, though, right? No matter what, I mean, so, someone's going to give him the max, and, yeah. and there's no, and you're not really hoping that he plays down into something less than the max, and, right? And honestly, I there's a real case to be made that he's the Jazz's most impactful player. Sure, like, yeah. If you if you just look at like the adjusted plus minus numbers on it, for example, or even if you look at like what you have Ian on on Nylon Calculus's website in terms of just the points he's saving at the rim, it's huge totals that absolutely it, you know make the Jazz a elite defensive team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually just did this project on Twitter with a bunch of other guys where we did an all-time NBA draft, and we were picking uh, for guys to play in a modern era, and we, the wrinkle was that we were picking a peak season. And Gobert's 2014-2015 season was like my seventh or eighth pick. Um, he His defense that year was so incredible. Um, and and really really game changing and yeah I mean he's the he's the difference for them between maybe being a very good defense and maybe being like uh, a historic defense. Who who was lucky enough to take any season from Ricky Davis as the number one overall pick? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody took uh, Tracy McGrady's oh one oh two season in the top ten and they they got a lot of strange looks. Really? And we, I had to keep being like it's peak season like that season <laughs> was incredible. Yeah, T Mac T Mac was very good. He was he he was a, definitely a top ten player for a long time. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, I, Ian, I want to ask you kind of and uh, what's uh, uh, you know you and I are both analytics guys. What out what's out there now? You know, there's been this adoption of Sport View, uh, and more and more of these stats are coming in on NBA.com. What are we going to see next season that uh, may change the analytic conversation a little bit? I don't know what's coming on the public side. It seems like the, the flow from sport view has, has slowed a little bit. Um, I think it, it's always the, you know, the analytics world is sort of divided into two segments. There's like what goes on behind closed doors. There's what's, what teams are using. Um, and we, you know, bits and pieces of that leak out. But for the most part, um, most of that is, is, you know, not available. We don't totally know what it is or how it's being used. The stuff on the public side feels like a lot of sort of reworking, uh, you know, the same kind of problems uh, to, to squeeze a little bit more out. We had um, uh, one of our guys at Nylon Calculus, Justin Willer, just released a new metric this week, and it's really cool. It's called Dredge. 
and it's a statistical plus minus model. So most statistical plus minus models use basic box score stats or advanced um, things like true usage uh, or things like usage or true shooting percentage to try and estimate a player's impact for 100 possessions. Um, and Justin's new metric, Dredge, uh, pulls all of these different play-by-play data lines. So you can get things like um, offensive fouls drawn besides just charges, you know, because there's, there's more value in things like that. Um, he looks, one of the things he found was the ratio of blocks to goaltends. And um, you have a lot of guys like um, Dwight Howard, I think, was the prime example of, you know, has these huge block totals, but he has almost as many goaltends, almost as many career goaltends as he does blocks. And so in that case, it's like his shot blocking aggressiveness is giving those points right back. You know, for almost every block he has, he's also giving away a bucket. Um, and Tim Duncan, I think the, the – the most eye-popping stat in there was in, in Tim Duncan's entire career, he had 15 goaltending violations, which is like less That's than stupid. one each season he played. <laughs> yeah, and he had over um, 3,000 blocks, right? Right. Yeah, and 15 goaltends. Um, and so so that's a, a really cool metric, and it's a really cool creative solution, sort of pulling out these statistical categories that haven't been used before, pulling them out of the play-by-play data and sort of making a richer statistical plus-minus model. But in the end, it's still, you know, it's still a, another version of a plus-minus model. And even if it gets us maybe a little bit closer to reality, it's still an estimate. It still has errors. Um, there are still things that it can't quite capture. And, um, you know, so it's, it's uh, the stuff that's out there um, on the public side. It, you know, it's a, a lot of reworking. And, and uh, hopefully um, the, the adoption or people getting more comfortable with it, I'm hoping that leads to sort of more interesting storytelling. Um, I'm a big fan of 538, and I think their basketball stuff has just gotten better and better. And, and um, so not necessarily new metrics or solving new problems, but using them in new ways to, to tell stories and, you know, keep, find, find other interesting aspects of basketball to play with. What I, what I really liked about that new metric was it did highlight, um, I think it was the 2002 season of Brent Berry. Uh, oh, yeah. as like, I mean, he was a monster statistically for quite a long time. And, and I think that people didn't quite realize how, how good he was, but yeah, I think it was like either 2001 or 2002 and it, it was definitely highlighted in that piece. Yeah, yeah, he was phenomenal. He was also ended up on my all-time NBA draft team. Um, but yeah, that season was like nothing that would you know catch your eye if you're just looking at the box score. It was like 14 points a game, five boards, five assists. But he shot 40% on threes. He generated a ton of steals, and yeah. he was just super, super efficient. Yeah, the uh, the other thing that it got me was was it technical fouls or flagrant fouls? One of those two that were mm-hmm. maybe it was the combination of both that were statistically significant in terms of a player being able to play smart defense. Right. Yeah, yeah, they were sort of like a, a an indicator of of aggressiveness, right? Yeah. Ian, do you do you think that there's ever either publicly or privately going to be a very competent defensive metric? Um. I think teams probably have stuff that's far ahead of, of what's public. I think probably a lot of it is based on, on raw sort of sport data, uh, sport view data. There was um, 
some stuff at the uh, MIT Sloan conference, um, I think maybe two years ago. Um, and these, these guys had, had built a, an algorithm that could sort of assign defensive responsibility um, based on space and proximity. Um, and so it, they could sort of lay that information over a play and they could say, you know, who was responsible for a defensive breakdown. So it wasn't just the closest player than the shot that when the shot was made, um, it was, you know, maybe the guy three moves before that who got beat off the dribble and that led to a series of passes that led to a three pointer. Um, and I think some of that stuff probably exists with teams. Um, but I also think it's, it's a murky area that maybe is not um, is is maybe sort of never perfectly measurable by by statistics. Yeah, I think that's fair. One of the cool things we we talked about kind of the application of statistics growing. Uh, you guys with these off season off season reviews on on fan sided and, and hardwood paroxysm uh, have been doing an awesome job of kind of using some of those stats, you know, like I'm looking at your Denver Nuggets one right now and kind of looking at how uh, Emmanuel Moutier's drives, for example, uh, where he's kind of middle of the pack in terms of total drives, uh, but near the bottom in terms of points per drive, in terms of efficiency. Uh, you also kind of did the same thing with, uh, oh, who am I, who am I forgetting? I, was it uh, Jeremy Lin? That's right. In terms of yeah. him <laughs> using a lot of drives. Can you share like what have been kind of your most cogent takeaways from from doing these pieces so far? Um, it's just been fun to find these little interesting nuggets on each team. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to cover each team. We get a little round table with with some other experts and team experts. We get some uh, you know a little recap of who's in and who's out on the roster over the summer, and then I'm trying to find some little sort of statistical nuggets, some graph to to tell a quick little story about either somebody new uh, on the team or somebody they've lost or somebody they're, somebody they're bringing in to address. So with the Nuggets, that thing with Moutier was um, that the Nuggets were not very good uh, scoring around the rim last year, particularly on drives. They were dead last in the league in field goal percentage on drives. <clears throat> and the two main culprits were Gallinari and Moutier. Um, but the difference was even though they were among the two worst finishers on drives, Gallinari uh, drew a foul like on one out of every three drives, um, where Moutier's free throw rate was sort of more towards the bottom. So, um, you know, even though he wasn't finishing a ton, Gallinari's drives were a healthy, um, you know, were a healthy, efficient scoring option for the Nuggets offense. And so the lesson there for Moutier um, – sort of made me think of Derek Rose earlier in, early in his career where he was so athletic he was able to get to the rim but he wasn't a great finisher and he really had a hard time getting to the free throw line and what sort of let Rose blossom I think uh, in many ways in that MVP season was he really started getting to the line a ton and so you know for Moutier everybody's thinking about well he's got to get a jump shot um, you know that's sort of the the next step for him becoming a reliable NBA player and for me, it's like, well, he's got to be a little bit better finishing at the rim, and if he can draw fouls, it seems like that's sort of like an easier and more obvious way to to become a better offensive player than all of a sudden, you know, shooting thirty five or thirty six percent on threes. Yeah, that's always been the thing for me with with Rubio. Um, in a similar way, is that it, I don't really care if he can hit jumpers; I care if he can finish at the rim because he's so bad finishing at the rim. Now this year, this past season, he he got really good at drawing fouls, and so like you know, his points per shot were. We're on par with guys like Lillard and you know Jeff Teague or whatever, but but really that it is about if you can if you can be that threat going towards the basket, 
it sucks the defense in more than than just being able to hit a jumper unless you know you're Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. And you players with some of these these guys, we sort of get lost in these single numbers. You know, Rubio has sort of finished near the bottom of the league in field goal percentage a bunch of times, and so we sort of get lost in that. Though he's a poor shooter, um, and you forget sort of the way these offensive categories tie together. So something like drawing fouls can offset, you know, not being a very good shooter, or right. you know, finishing at the rim respectively can offset, you know, not being a very good jump shooter. It's all sort of a, a give and take. Um, and a little plug for that fan-sided off-season review series. The Jazz one goes up tomorrow, and Ooh, oh, uh, it's about <laughs> it's about uh, the veterans they've added to their roster. I sort of looked at the relative age of every roster from last year, and then the the uh, average age for every uh, roster, uh, giving all, given all their off-season additions and subtractions. And the Jazz have gotten older than anybody else in the league this summer. Wow. The the Rubio thing made me want to ask you real quick. What makes Seth Part now? <laughs> angrier sam mitchell's offense <laughs> or the idea of judging a defender based on um being close to the to the shooter those are both really good guesses the thing i think that makes him the most angry is when uh a statistics is used uh inappropriately for ranking so okay. <laughs> uh you know a player x has a field goal percentage that's higher than ricky rubio's therefore he is a better player yeah, okay. um <laughs> That's that's the one that I see steam coming out of the digital <laughs> that I'm talking about. Even you know from Alaska, you can see that. You can still see, yeah. You can feel the heat from <laughs> you can up see there. The smoke rising over the horizon. <laughs> All right, well, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just give us a quick reminder of where we can read your work. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm at uh, fansided.com uh, almost every day, and uh, often at hardwood paroxysm and nylon calculus as well. Cool. All right. That's Ian Levy uh, joining us. Thanks again to Ian. We've got a few minutes left in this segment, so I want to get started on our pretty lengthy queue of Around the NBA news and notes. So can we get the Around the NBA sounder? Drum roll, please. There it is. I I mean, we'll still come into the segment next time with it. Yeah. That's just better. Twice is fine. Yeah, twice is just great. They they play this song more than once on your average NBA broadcast. 100%. Let's start talking by, with this uh, Players Association news. I think they did a couple of cool things over this week. First, they announced on Wednesday that they will fund retired players' health insurance beginning on January 1st, 2017. Players with three years of service in the NBA at any point in their career are, are eligible for this uh, health insurance, which you know we, we've seen all the documentaries about yeah. NBA players going broke for whatever reason, uh, sometimes because there are no fours. Right. And so... <laughs> And I, this is actually a needed thing. And I think it's important, too, to, like, people can get mad that, like, those guys make so much money. How do they lose it all? Well, stuff happens, right? right. And, and just because they had a lot of money doesn't mean that the organization that helped them get that money shouldn't try to take care of them in, in a way that um, it's just a good thing to do. Yeah, and it's it's not even the NBA that's doing this. Right, it's, it's the Players, players Association. Association. It's their fellow players. It's the current players who didn't have to make this move, but they, they did anyway. And, and by setting this up now, it helps them down the road, and it's just a good overall program, and it's, you know, they've really gotten, they've really zeroed in on, on health. Yeah. You know, of, especially with big men who are, you know, not living that long or living right. as long as they should. And, 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 you know, obviously the NBA makes a big impact on uh, – person's health playing in right. <laughs> for 20 years 82 games is, is a big deal uh it's cool because they're also you know it's a well thought out plan there are some programs that you know reduce deductibles for the older retirees 
uh, who are on Medicare, for example. So yeah. it's it's kind of a over overwhelming coverage plan that uh, should help. The other cool program uh, was that they're setting up heart health screenings for uh, retired players. So if you want to get your heart checked out, yes, yeah. you're you know whatever. It's all set up for you. Yeah, so. they were doing that in Vegas. Um, they've done it a few places. Uh, Cherokee Parks actually talked about this, um, basically saying that he, you know, so much, so much is done for them in their lives to help them, you know, help them focus on basketball and focus on being an NBA player and being the best and all this stuff. That there are some really basic things like knowing how to do, you know, doctor visits, knowing how yeah. to set that up, knowing how to, you know you know, find the right healthcare within your provided network and all that stuff. Like they don't really know how to do. Because so. when you're an athlete, you have that taken care of from age like 14 with your AAU right. team or whatever. Then you have multiple doctors looking at you through the end of your NBA career. For yeah. the, you know, those, the years where you and I figured that out, right. they have multiple doctors telling them what to do every single day. Right. I feel like my knee surgery was much different than like Cherokee Park's knee surgery. Right. <laughs> I feel like the, the healthcare was a little bit different. Yeah, and so you know, having the, again those opportunities for players and and like clear instructions and and a support system is, yeah. is really cool. And especially to, uh, we lost Daryl Dawkins, we lost Moses Malone right after him, we lost Sean Rooks uh, earlier this year. Like you know, big men. You know, Larry Bird even said like, "I'm a big man. I'm you know, I'm I'm not expecting to live to 75 years old. Like big men don't really live that long, and so it's important to get the heart you know figured out now rather than later." Yeah, speaking of big men with with health issues, uh, Amari Stoudemire retired. He did. He signed he w- a deal with the New York ne- Knicks so he could uh, retire as a Nick, which is a little bit weird. Once but, a Nick, always a Nick. Uh, sure, that's a thing some people say, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not even sure people in the Knicks organization would agree. But regardless, uh, Amari was a lot of fun to watch for a long time. He was, he was a detonator at the rim. Yeah. It just could jump. It's too much to say he was the best pick and roll big ever, but in terms of but like he, he's most up there. explosive, yeah. like uh, most reliable finisher for like two to three years. Yeah. I mean, okay, three to five years. I, I I don't know. Kind of his peak, right? With with Steve Nash, and and of course you get a lot of good things playing with Steve Nash, but yeah. s- uh, still his ability to finish was incredible. Um. It- for those who just want to, some kind of reminder of what he could do, go look up the Anthony Tolliver dunk where he dunks all over Anthony Tolliver and then realize that this was like after four knee surgeries. Like the way he dunked. And, and the coolest thing about that is is they asked him about it and said, what was going through your mind when this happened or when this was happening? And his answer was, I hope he jumps. <laughs> like he wanted, he wanted him to be challenged because he knew he was going to dunk on everybody. That uh, Battier dunk too, where he oh. backs him down, and then Battier falls down, and he offers the hand, yeah. and then pulls it away at the last. He minute. wasn't, a, he wasn't a fan of that, that flop. That's that's very harsh. That's great. Uh, he also he was the one who did the cartwheel dunk, right? Uh, well, Michael Finley unsuccessfully did a cartwheel dunk in like 1995 that's or '98, right. something like that. Oh uh, um, no, that and then Stoudemire did the. Uh, the header dunk was it? Right, yeah. He had Steve Nash doing a bunch of soccer stuff, That's and right. then he was trying to dunk it. Um, also, Amari uh, had a filthy one on. I think it was either on Olo Candy or Yao Ming. Well, he dunked on both of them, but I think the Olo Candy one gives you the infamous Stefan Marbury stink face Ooh. as he's walking back. He he makes this just like he's disgusted at what he just saw his teammate do. <laughs> 
All right, well, check that out on YouTube, not while you're driving. but Not you know, while you're driving. I don't recommend that. During the break. Sure. Uh, at the nearest stoplight. I, I think we just broke several laws in telling people to do that. Don't do that. Be safe out there, people. Or just don't get caught. Or that's uh, that's actually that's irresponsible information to give you. That's like it's almost as bad of advice as telling someone to go out and purchase a toaster oven. Right, exactly. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we've got more uh, no, news and notes from around the league for around the NBA next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Zach Harper joining you. As always, you can tweet us for the last half hour of the show at Andy B. Larson or at Talk Hoops uh, with any questions, comments, concerns about toaster ovens or basketball you may have. (laughs) Uh, Getting into more around the NBA stuff. Uh, Kevin Arnovitz reported this week that Steve Ballmer, Clippers owner, is exploring sites around Los Angeles for a new Clippers arena. He wants out of the Staples Center lease. Um, Makes sense. That lease is until 2024. Correct. So it's it's a very, you know, it's, it's a long time, but that's also about how long it takes to, like, figure out the politics of L.A. and Especially L.A., yeah, like, it's... You can't even even put a pool in your backyard without like years of research going into it, let alone building a whole new stadium. Do you think that's a good move for the Clippers to like get their own get their own house? One hundred percent. Yeah. They. I mean, this is no longer a second-rate organization in terms of like Donald Sterling is running you, right? Like you can't. I just like the Nets would never share with the Knicks. So why are they sharing with the Lakers? Fair. Doesn't make sense. So yeah, go find your own building. Um, Hopefully, don't make taxpayers pay for it. Because that's that's a bummer. That's not the greatest. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go get a building and make it cool. <laughs> I would like to see a cool building. Architects. Yeah, architect. Just go make. Barclay it cool. Center is awesome. Yeah, it I is. mean it's a mausoleum because there's no like live basketball there, but right. But it's great. Yeah, in terms of yeah, I like I like that arena a lot. I I well okay, I will say I do think Dan Clayton and I saw a game from the Upper Bowl there, okay. and it was too high. It was okay. Too far yeah, away. I haven't been in the Upper Bowl. Um, it's, I covered a couple of games as media, and then I went there as a fan once, and I it was like a Magic Nets game, so not the hardest ticket in town to get right. at the time, and, and so I had pretty decent seats, like halfway down the lower bowl. But yeah, it, it was it was fun there, um, but lower bowl does or the upper bowl does seem high. Yeah, I mean Dan and I went to Thunder Nets, and it, was, it wasn't it was well. Well, we we did spend ten dollars for the tickets. Okay, uh, <laughs> but if you want to sit in the lower bowl to see Kevin Durant, right? I would imagine it's yeah, more expensive. that's harder, right? Yeah. So it's harder to move down. Um, and yeah, the the seats are pretty high up there. It's not like Energy Solutions Arena seats where they're more on top of it, right? You, so you kind of still feel like you're right. you're there, uh, much like the old uh, Arco Arena as well. Yeah, uh, the that's not the case with Barclays, where yeah. you, you're pretty far horizontally away from the action too. Uh, let's do what, which one of these, oh, the Kings in, in arena news are proposing to call a new two block road leading to the entrance of their new arena, the David J. Stern walk. Sure. Uh, I like David Stern. I'm, I'm not one of those people that was like, oh, I hate David Stern. He was a jerk. Like he did incredible things for the NBA. Yeah. I don't really have a problem. It's weird. I, I don't think he, everything he did was great, but for the most part, he made the league amazing. Would you do uh, like, I would rather name it after Chris Weber. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are not that many great kings in history. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess Mitch Richmond way. 
could have been something. Uh, you can't really name someone that after Vladi because he he works for the team. As does Peja, as does yeah, Doug Christie on the good. broadcast side. I mean, it is something the Kings would do. Is yeah, to name something I guess maybe Bibby Boulevard is in the mix. Jay Wilway. Okay. Jay Wilway is what they should have done. <laughs> yeah. Or Pollard Pavilion. Okay. How I about mean, that? Mitch Richmond. Um, uh, pitch. No, that's, no, that's the no, soccer word. That's soccer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's got to be something out there. Rick Adelman Court. Okay. Maybe that, yeah. But yeah, uh, name it after David Stern. Why not? Kevin Durant's restaurant in Oklahoma City is closing down and will reopen under a new name. Speaking of a few months, players' restaurants. Similar menu, uh, apparently, though. Chris Webber had a restaurant in Sacramento. Is it still open? I don't think so, because I think someone got shot there, and that mm. was literally the end of it. But this was long after he was done playing there. Okay. So they lasted longer I, than Durant's. I and, you know, I do think like how long your eponymous I don't know how you actually pronounce that word, but I've, <laughs> I've read it before. Uh, how long that restaurant stays open is a good measure of how popular you are in a given community. Right. Like Kevin I, well, Durant is pretty unpopular in Oklahoma City. At right this now. point right now, yeah. Uh, a month ago he was pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not you have a restaurant <laughs> right. is another big, big thing. Uh, the WNBA rescinded some fines related to their Black Lives Matter protests by by players. Some of them were wearing T-shirts before the game. You remember we had the whole thing where the cops walked out. Uh, the volunteer cops walked out of a Minnesota Lynx game because the players were wearing the shirts, and yeah. and the WNBA fined them, and then they decided not to. And anyway, that's where we are. I'm glad that they were rescinded. Yes, that they, yeah. yeah the, someone actually posed also, this question, and I'm curious. Would it, so someone said, oh, NBA players should, should offer to pay the fines for the WNBA players. Is that patronizing? Because I don't think it's a bad idea, but I also wonder if that's like kind of patronizing. In Probably a, way. a little bit, but honestly, NBA players just make so much more money. Then that, it's like kind of okay? Then it's kind of okay, yeah. right? Like, it's kind of like when you go to lunch or dinner with a richer person than yourself right. and they offer to pay. Like, yeah, it's a little bit patronizing, but also you But really also you'll take it. the free lunch, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're a WNBA player, being fined 500 to to $1,000 is, is a, a really big deal, yeah. right? That's that's like you and I getting paid uh, right. fined 500 or or $1,000. Right. It's, it's a big portion of your, your income. For an NBA player, you know, that's that's LeBron James playing Dante it's Jones' fine, their, right? Not it's, even their it's per not diem. a big deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in the end, I think they would accept it yeah. and, and not complain too much. Uh, speaking of that, Michael Jordan wrote something on the uh, on the undefeated about police violence. And also, uh, I think more than his words, he came with two million dollars in donations to two different groups involved in involved in, in uh, ending police violence and, and working with police to yeah. mitigate and, and not mitigate, but remove these these problems as much as possible. It's interesting too because. Uh there a lot of people will then instantly go to him with the whole like republicans buy shoes too right uh you know infamous quote and uh that's not really understanding what mj's done over his time like what he's done and granted like i'm not saying he couldn't do more but he what he did was basically build an empire at nike uh hire a lot of minority workers and eventually empower them to become executives and you know really yeah. make strides in the industry and I think that there, it just shows that there are different ways to go about empowering people of your own race, right? Right. And giving two million dollars to these sort of it's a lot. It's a lot of is, money, is, is even though it's step. Michael Jordan. That's still a lot of money. Yeah. Yon uh, Waiters, by the way, signed for a similar <laughs> amount of money. Uh, do you like my segues here? They're going well. Yon <laughs> uh, Waiters signed for two point nine million dollars in Miami. He's got a second year player option there for another two point nine million dollars, but I bet he doesn't take it and opts out and just spends one year in Miami. But the good news is we do get Dion Waiters playing for a contract this season. Look, here's what happened. Again. 
J.R. Smith opted out of a player option and ended up taking less money last season mm-hmm. to remain with the Cavaliers. Deion Waiters, you know, basically doesn't sign a qualifying offer for six million dollars. For six million dollars, ends up getting less money. What I'm saying is, Deion Waiters is going to be a champion without a shirt in about eleven months. Wow. Yeah. Okay. If you're the Heat, do you start him or Tyler Johnson? Uh, I think I go Tyler Johnson. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Johnson can play w- and and shoot. They're also paying him ten million dollars a year more. Than right, exactly. Waiters, yeah. So <laughs> maybe you just maybe let that factors that, in. Yeah, <laughs> just let that speak for itself. Uh, CJ McCollum, as we mentioned earlier on in the show, is making a lot more money than Dion Waiters. Inked a four-year, one hundred six million dollar extension with the Blazers that will will kick in after this year. So I guess he's making about the same this year. Yeah, but is about to make twenty-four. What is that? Twenty-six million dollars a year. He's good uh, after that. Yeah, CJ, Mc- I'm fine with giving him that much. Money. Yeah, he's good. He can play. That's just the the money boom too as well. Yeah. Like what would that normally be? Like four years, eighty-two or so, right. eighty-six or something like that. So with the cap jump, it just makes sense and. He will justify it. He's an awesome scorer. He's a really good ball handler. Uh, I thought he was a pretty decent defender, considering he didn't have a great reputation as it as yeah. the season went on. Yeah, I, th- I think he's better in the team concept. Like he's got stuff to get better at. But I just I think he's you you keep him and Lillard together for a long time, build around them. I think it works. Yeah, and I don't think this is a mistake by any means. No, um, it's it's a good idea. He is the first major 2013 draft pick to to get an extension. Yeah, um, so that's that's something. To Not watch Anthony for. Bennett. No, not surprising. Not that guy. He's <laughs> may or may not be in the league. He is. He's a Brooklyn Net. Uh, One year contract, guaranteed. Not guaranteed, but he's still okay. on the, he's still on the team. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I uh, we'll see. <laughs> Tyron Lue uh, signed a new deal, thirty-five million dollars over five years. Uh, after you know the Cavs won the championship this year, probably a good. Good idea. It's also more money than he ever made in his ten-year playing career. Yeah, he was a minimum guy. Wasn't Which, very good. It's kind of that's kind of fun, right? Like yeah. You, I I don't think he had that in mind during his his playing career. It was like I'm going to retire. I'm going to be a coach pretty quickly. Wasn't he also the the highest paid assistant in league history? Was he? I think so. When they hired Blatt, they brought him in as like the highest. I think he was making like one point two million dollars or something like wow. that. Yeah. Well, Tyron Lue's a much better earner post career than in his than in his playing career. Do you think it's weird how much more money coaches are making than general managers? Um, I do. I do also think that it's a more public sure. figure. Uh, well, because players of that. are making more money too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah. Maybe it's just this weird inverse. Or and then the the owners are losing money allegedly every that's lockout. Not, that's so not true. <laughs> so it really is a the owners are kind of a, a reverse way. Um. But yeah, I do kind of, and it's it's funny too because it seems like that's the area where you can just throw money around. Right. Right? Like why what's the difference? like why wouldn't you just go throw five, six, eight million dollars a year at the best general manager? Yeah, and instead it's Phil Jackson who got that money. Like- right. And and like when he at the end of his career with the Kings, Jeff Petrie was making like four, four and a half million dollars a year. Okay. Which is a lot for a GM. That's a ton. And he wasn't any good anymore. Right. Like he was he was horrible at his job. Yeah, but uh, like if there are GMs, you know, like you could go out there and get uh Masai Ujiri, let's say, for yeah. Five million dollars a year, right? Like that's, uh, and he's good, and he's good, right? You <laughs> you should go. Someone should go throw ten million dollars at Neil O'Shea, yeah, and say come come run our team. Yeah, I mean the the Knicks, uh, maybe not the Knicks because they've already done this, right. but like teams need to do this. Yeah, I I don't know. It's if if I'm the Kings, I do that. Oh, they've got Vladi. They they do, and he's he exists. He's made trades. 
okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice thing you can say about him. It's a little bit worrying. Uh I think that's it. I think that's all we've got in Around the NBA, which is also good because it's time to break. That's good. It's perfect. All right. We got one more segment left on the show. Oh, no. I, I do have one more thing. I had to scroll down. David Lee signed with the Spurs today. Oh, good uh, for him. Two-year player option on the second year uh, minimum deal. Yeah, he's not going to help them, but, but good idea. Do you think he... Uh, yeah, I don't know that he helps their bench even. I mean, I guess they don't really have a backup power forward, so this works. Unless you want to play Kyle Anderson there, which I do. I, yeah, <laughs> I think that's more fun. You know, I think Kyle Anderson will be a better player next yeah. year. Than but I don't know. He's a practice guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's nice enough. Jab steps. Yeah. Rebounds. <laughs> Shoots 20-footers. Yeah. Won't shoot a three, but he'll right. shoot a 20-footer. That's fine. Good for him. All right. Now is our break. Let's go ahead and take it. We got family stuff, Dean Cooper, jazz dancers, uh, I don't know, a whole bunch of stuff on our last segment of the show next Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Basketball John. I've got a basketball I regret everything. I'm out. I was, I was actually going to comment earlier that I thought the music choice by John was fantastic during this entire episode, during this entire entire show. Yeah, John LaFollette, our producer, is solely responsible for our failures and none of our successes. I'm so glad I didn't bring that point up earlier now. <laughs> Do you regret it? <laughs> you regret what you've done? I regret nothing. <laughs> I, I take a lot of pride in my music choices. This one is my proudest moment of the day. <laughs> this was, uh, you know, you what this was? You had a 73-win season. You were one win away from the finals, and then <laughs> Kevin Love stopped you. Uh, we've got a tweet from Larry Spandex, or Spandex Larry. I don't want to get that wrong. Sure. Uh, it's Twitter. People can come up with whatever they want. Saying, get that man the max. That's a reply to uh, Howell Neto's line from tonight, which, if you missed it earlier on the show... In tonight's Brazil-Australia game, 19 points on 6 of 7 shooting, 4 for 4 from 3, 3 assists, 1 steal, only 18 minutes and 41 seconds of playing time coming off the bench for Brazil tonight. 100% expect, 100% expect him to do that in the regular season. Start that man over Marcelo Huertas. Six-man award. He's, he's much better than Marcelo Huertas, right? Yeah. At this point, yeah. Like, yeah. five years ago, Marcelo Huertas? Yeah. Like, no. Like, Absolutely. he was a pretty good player. This, I mean, he did have the... The single worst play I've ever seen in my life in an NBA game we have, that I was that I was live for. Well, we just saw like two seasons of these guys, right? We saw right. last year, yeah. Neto's rookie, and both of their rookie seasons, yeah. Uh, Neto's twelve years younger and just was better, I right? Think. Or just Shooting, tried to throw the ball everything. back over his head to beat a shot clock violation. I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> sure. I thought if that was you after, don't do that, you're 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 a quitter. That was after Tyler Johnson had blocked a, a horrible running three point shot with like yeah. 18 seconds left on the sh- on the shot clock. <laughs> well, like four, right? Uh, it wasn't because he had to it, beat the shot clock, right? But that. you don't need a runner at that point no. off a of one foot from uh from three point range. No, it wasn't good. Uh, Jingles had his twins, Joe Ingles. I should use his full <laughs> name. Uh, and which is cool. Like he got a cool tattoo. With their names on his arm. I'm really happy for uh, him, but twins freak me out. Yeah, I feel, I mean, that's so scary if you're Joe Ingles or Derek Favors. Yeah. Both of those guys having twins. And now Gordon Hayward, not twins, but two two kids of different ages. Doesn't he have a twin sister? And he has a twin sister. Dante Exum has a twin sister. What? What is Salt, going on? The Salt Lake Twins. That's Utah <laughs> Twins. No longer the Minnesota Twins. 
I'm I'm fine with I'm well, I'm I don't know if I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take it back. It's yeah. It's a little bit weird. Jeff Withy got engaged, by the way, to uh, Kennedy Summers, his his Playboy playmate girlfriend, who yeah. um, was mad at him earlier on in the off season when he went. Okay, so the story is this is this all unfolded on Instagram. It's public knowledge. <laughs> he went on Instagram. What a weird. Uh, she weird went world. on Instagram with a picture of a movie ticket that he had for the previous night, presumably for somebody else other than her. And she was very upset that that Jeff had gone to the movies with somebody else. I think that's a safe way to put it. Uh, she was very upset. Yeah, that's there were there were retaliatory pictures posted sure. on both her account and his account, and uh, ultimately Jeff said, "Look, I paid for the next person in line." There, there. I thought he picked up a. a re- I thought a receipt was in the thing. In what thing? I thought the receipt was in like the ticket dispenser, because if you swipe your card. If you don't go up to the booth and you go to like the little kiosk, yeah. it spits out your ticket first and then it spits out your receipt. I could see someone just grabbing the ticket and walking off. His story was that he paid for the ticket in front of him. Oh, okay. So he was like, yo, I'm an NBA player. That seems I, fishy to me. I'm the seven. He should have gone with my guy. story. <laughs> my story is much more believable. Regardless, <laughs> it now seems that they have gotten over that incident, whether it turns out the story was true or not, and are engaged to be married. Uh, don't buy a toaster oven. It's <laughs> <No>. a <laughs> horrible wedding gift. Is Kennedy Summers the toaster oven of, of wives? No, so, she seems lovely. Okay. I don't know. I haven't met her. I haven't either, but was, you know. There's, it was a fire joke. It was, it was. Anyone who reacts by hacking their ex's Instagram account? It's salt scary. of the earth. It's scary. Uh, Dean Cooper, still head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars. That was announced today. And kind of, a, I, I thought that was a weird press release to send, actually. Uh, to be like, yep. The guy who was the coach last year is still going to be the coach this year, even I though guess, he moved. I guess you have to clear it up at some point. A press release probably isn't necessary. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a little bit weird. I, I don't think he signed a new contract. Maybe his contract was year to year, but it, okay. was, it seemed a little bit too like. It seemed like the uh, press release you would send for a, a new guy rather than the guy who's been coach of the team for two. Seasons. Yeah, since we're into spending people's money on this episode on the show tonight, uh-huh. um, that's fine. Let's throw some more money into the D League. Yeah, absolutely. There is not nearly. I don't. I think people. I think the casual fan would be shocked to find out how little these guys make and like how little money. Twenty thousand dollars a year. Right. The the highest salary, the A salary, is twenty five thousand dollars right. a year. That's insane. It's crazy. Like, With all the money the NBA has now, like yeah. that, we've got to have more than that. Absolutely, and and to be clear, this is actually being worked on. Um, yes. That people want. You know, we see so frequently now these deals that have partial guarantees, right? That, yeah. You know, basically you pay Brock Modem or whoever thirty. He's not a good example because he didn't <laughs> take it. Jack Cooley, uh, you pay Jack Cooley eighty thousand dollars, and in return he will play for your D League team for twenty five thousand dollars a year, right? Instead of going overseas and making one hundred fifty thousand, right? The idea there is then he's closer to the NBA and is still making at least like a livable wage, quite frankly. Right, exactly. Twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, a year. That, I mean that's kind of the loophole, right? Is you you get under the cap, you sign a bunch of these guys to minimum deals, you waive them, but you have you know seventy five, eighty thousand dollars guaranteed. But ideally, like that, we're going through this whole rigmarole. Kind of shows that it's it's stupid as as currently set up. Like what you'd really want is a, either like a taxi squad or or something like that where. You can pay guys what they're worth, and yeah. they're kind of a semi part of your roster. You right. Know, you can actually kind of safely put developmental resources on these guys 
uh, kind of the the end of the second round, third round guys that you'd want to keep on your D-League team and not have to compete against Europe because, quite frankly, that should be a competition that NBA teams can win. Uh, every time they should win that. But they just can't because roster sizes are too right, small. Right, exactly. So anyway, this is that's a real scheme that's happening. Uh, finally, the Jazz Dancers, uh, I kind of referenced it earlier on. Actually, I don't know if we were on air during that I don't think point, we were on but, air when we talked about this. <laughs> so... Uh, a few weeks ago, I did a Jazz Dancer article. They were very upset. Um, I the, the point is that the Jazz Dancers... I, I'm, I'm going to do an article where I explain it all later. So check that out so on check that out. We don't have enough time to explain it all right now. <laughs> there's there's drama out there in the world. Let's put it that so way. So much drama. Anyway, good show today? Good show. In on the show. I liked it a lot. All right, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and, and all those other websites. SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. Signing out on ESPN 700.